Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Hertel show. Let's go back overseas. Another one of our great young voices contributors. This one's over in the UK. Uh, Georgia Gilholly. Uh, how are you, my friend? It's good to talk to you finally. We've been trying to wanting to get you on. Finally got it done. Welcome. Hi, I'm doing good. Thanks. Uh, great to be here. <laughs> She's a uh, wonderful writer. She's got a long list of writing credits. She also does a lot of media over in the UK. She studied at King's College and her semester abroad was over here. Went to GW for a little spell. Um, let's talk a little bit about India, if you will, the current situation in Russia and Ukraine, metaphorically and f- kind of in literal taste, India is kind of stuck in the middle here in a lot of ways. Um, we've talked about the, the Western states that are doing sanctions. India is not one of them. They have longstanding ties with Russia. We have been uh, in American parlance. We've been courting them to kind of get more aligned with us over the last 20, 30 years, especially the last 15 years. They're really kind of stuck in the middle between a lot of moving parts here, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, What you said is correct. India is not sanctioning Russia. And one of the reasons they say they're not doing this, and I for one would probably believe them, is they're concerned about whether this will impact their own economy. And also they're concerned as to whether it would actually even benefit them on the world stage to sanction Russia, because they're looking at the way that the West has uh, slammed some of these financial sa- sanctions removing Russia from SWIFT, for example, um, following the invasion of Ukraine. And they're seeing the emergence of, uh, yes, an alternative uh, financial order propped up by Ru- Russia and namely China, of course, as well. And they're sort of thinking, which is going to be beneficial in the long term to be involved with? Can we be involved with both of these? It's not in our strategic interests to... Um, roll out the amount of sanctions that say the EU member states and the US have so far. Yeah. And these, these entanglements, let's call them, uh, during the last administration, the Trump administration, there was a kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge deal where we allowed them to continue buying Russian military hardware, even though we had kind of kept other people from doing that because their entire military is Russia based, including their support structure there. Like it would have, it would have crippled their military to not be able to do that. So we kind of turned a blind eye. It's like, yeah, go ahead and do that. Their power grid, for example, is completely dependent on uh, Russia technology. Uh, These are things that are not quickly fixable. These are things that would take a lot of infrastructure change. Politically, I think even President Biden, when he met with India here a couple of days ago, he kind of acknowledged it because when he was asking for, you know, don't buy oil, don't buy resources, don't get into the market, he wasn't even asking them to quit it. He was asking them to just not increase it. They did increase it anyway. 
there's just some hard political realities and it comes into some really baked into the cake infrastructure stuff with India's relationship with Russia, but they also want to kind of be friends with us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And if you think about it from India's perspective, the things that are coming from Western and NATO allied envoys, let's say, let's say they're saying you need to remove uh, or decrease your use of Russian gas or don't raise it. They're looking at these states and thinking, okay, Germany, well, you're still using Russian gas. You are dependent on Russian gas, in fact. So why should we, um, thousands upon thousands of miles away from the theater of conflict, why should we try and remove this? Because at the moment, it's not in our short-term interest. It's not in our medium-term interest. Possibly not in our long-term interest to do that. Um, so you, you can understand from the perspective of the Indian government why they're not doing this. And I think that too many people in the West, they see what's going on in Ukraine Obviously, terrible, terrible human rights violations, war crimes, massacres of civilians. This is not acceptable. Um, but what can you expect from a dictatorship that's invading a sovereign state? Um, and the problem is we see that we're heartbroken. I'm sure many Indian people see that in the news and, and feel the same. But it doesn't necessarily change the reality when it comes to, as you're saying, India's energy supplies, India's energy grid. And I think it's hypocritical and short-sighted of Western leaders to simply say, you know, India's not doing enough. Well, are we doing enough? Have we done enough to begin with? Is it not the fact that the US hasn't been seen as a reliable partner and hasn't stood up to Russia, for example, when it invaded Crimea in 2014? And think of the whole host of, of failures. Afghanistan was an absolute fiasco. I, you know, I'm a British person, but I am very much of the view that um, a world where America has more power is better than a world that Russia and China um, have the bulk of power, for example, even though we know, you know, they have their own divisions, but they're sort of, they're complementary in the fact that they can cooperate on a lot of these things and they aren't necessarily, for example, Joe Biden, when he goes to visit China or wherever, he is maybe going to bring up, oh, why haven't you, um, you know, allowed Hong Kong to keep democracy? Um, why are you allowing these human rights violations to go on or engineering these human rights violations. Russia and China, they may have their differences, but they're not um, pestering each other about human rights violations. Um, so I think that, you know, a world order where America has more power despite its flaws is obviously a better one. But this doesn't seem to be um, even what the US government is operating on. If you look at um, the Biden administration and the Obama administration that came before it, obviously with the four years of Trump in between, it's just been backpedal after backpedal. And when they have intervened, that same Libya, um, it's been disastrous. Um, they can't seem to strike the balance right. And you hear a lot of talk about, you know, the Quad, um, for example, um, India becoming more aligned with the US because both of them would like to fence in China. But when it comes to short-term interests, like I'm saying, India getting Russian gas, uh, India getting military hardware way over half of it. I think it's over 60% of its military equipment is from Russia, basically. Um, India might like to um, be closer to the US in the future, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're in the position to do that right now. And as I was saying, even as someone who would prefer an American um, world as opposed to a Chinese world, a CCP world rather, um, doesn't necessarily mean that America has been 
executing its foreign policy in the best way possible, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's seen as a reliable partner anymore by countries like India. Yeah, and something we've been hearing from our overseas friends, uh, Georgia Gilholy joining us, Young Voices contributor from the UK. Uh, something we've heard from our overseas friends over and over and over again. I, I say it constantly on this program because I'm a foreign policy person. It's kind of lonely right now in America because we're kind of in an isolation that's bent until this Ukraine thing happened. Uh, foreign policy has to be uh, consistent and coherent. America has not been great on consistent and coherent. And something we hear from overseas countries like India, like Southeast Asia, they, they tell you like, we don't like China. We like American more. But when we're dealing with China and we're we, Russia, we at least know what we're getting. Is that the sense you get as well as like, yeah, it's probably the, the worst of the two evils, but it's a consistent evil. We at least know what we're dealing with and we can plan out five or 10 years. Whereas the American system, you know, we change. Pre we have a presidential election every four years. We have congressional elections every two years. That inconsistency you're talking about not all of this is just morals and economics. A lot of it is they just don't really know what to expect from America right now, do they? Mm -hmm. I think that some people on the left and the right do tend to maybe overemphasize stability in places like Russia and China. And we obviously know that from how chaotic the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been, um, they're not necessarily as on their toes as they could be. But I think what you're saying in general, there's truth to it. Because of course, as you're saying, you know, the US is a uh, a representative democracy or a, a republic however you want to however you want to explain it um basically there are elections um the center of power changes uh regularly and especially with the us being so divisive right now there's no agreement there's no bipartisan agreement on foreign policy um or even within party agreement on foreign policy what you're saying is correct um India and other such transition economies that are looking to develop and also to shore up their security. Um, they may have many issues with places like China, especially China with India, because obviously they, they share a border, they have territorial disputes, that kind of thing. Um, and both of them are sort of the emerging powers in Asia. So they have sort of regional, um, very close um regional proximity and regional aspirations that conflict with each other but in general china and russia operate in a way that is more manageable for countries like india to deal with i'm not saying they're more manageable when compared to the way they might deal with their own internal populations or the way they might deal with uh, countries that they aspire to take over for example Taiwan's an example with China. Obviously, Ukraine is right now being invaded by Russia. So it's not to overemphasize how stable and how logical they are, because they're not at all. They're just fundamentally different. And when it comes to foreign policy, dealing with states that are sort of non-aligned, like India, in regards to them, I would say they are more predictable. That doesn't mean they're a partner necessarily, and it doesn't necessarily mean they're friendly, but they are more predictable. And at the end of the day, um, if India, for example, is not going to be outwardly hostile, China and Russia right now are not going to be outwardly hostile back. That's not to say that they aren't hostile in other ways. China, for example, well, China and Russia, um, but China on the rise in this regard, especially um, is obviously famous for sort of espionage, intellectual property theft relating to military stuff as well. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, 
going to be bosom buddies, but they might be easier to deal with in the US. And maybe it's not fashionable to acknowledge this, but I think that the president of the United States right now in particular, all presidents obviously have their their issues and things that might be weaker on, but I think his dealing with this crisis has been incredibly disappointing. Well, actually, I say disappointing. I didn't expect much, so not disappointing. Um, You had him a few weeks ago quite literally calling for regime change, then being praised by liberal commentators a bit doing so. Then about 15 minutes later, the White House says, no, that's not what he said. You know, you're dealing with a war in Ukraine. You're dealing with real people's lives that are being destroyed. Um, Calling for the US president calling for regime change in Russia whether or not you agree with that or you think it's realistic or you think it would exacerbate the issues, whatever, that's beside the point. Calling for regime change somewhere obviously uh, creates more aggression from that regime because they see themselves as fenced in, more fenced in, more threatened. It just doesn't even seem that the president of the United States is thinking through what he's saying or he's even realising the weight of his words. You know, this isn't a video game, this is real. (laughs) And you can't act like this and then go back and forth when these things are really happening on the ground, they have real impact. Obviously, you know, everything the US president does has impact, but this is this is incredibly serious. Yeah, and unfortunately, if it, we have a lot of book on Joe Biden because he's been in public service for 50 years here in America, and this is completely consistent with who Joe Biden is. I don't think he's going to change this late in the game. Uh, Georgia Gilholy joining us from UK. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back. We're going to talk about some of those allies' relationships with India. Uh, they get complicated in a hurry. What's their relationship with places like Pakistan. Can't talk India without Pakistan. Got to talk about the EU, other places like this. And we're going to come back to the economy. Uh, It's not just oil. They're looking at coal now. We know how important energy is right now. More with Georgia Gilholy right after this on Hertel. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Uh, our friend Georgia Gilholy from over in the UK joining us. We're talking about India, a very important country in the world, the world's largest democracy by population. And one of those countries that's caught in the middle because they they need to be friends with everybody right now. And those friends are all fighting with each other. Uh, Let's talk about a couple of their alliances that make things really complicated. We've talked about it before on this program. You cannot talk about India in the geopolitical realm without talking about Pakistan. They have longstanding conflicts over things like Kashmir. You have two different cultures, two different religions. They don't get along. They have to get along because they have a border, frenemies. Um, What's that current situation? Because Pakistan's in kind of a similar situation, especially now that they've uh, uh, set aside Amman Khan and they're changing their leadership. What do you think India's relationship with Pakistan is? Another one of those countries that's kind of caught in the middle of the world events that are going on right now. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Well, sort of it remains to be seen what is going to happen with Pakistan with Imran Khan being removed. Who knows if he could make a comeback? (laughs) He's certainly been, he's certainly done done worse things and came back from it, unfortunately. Pakistan has long-standing issues with Islamist militias, violence, um, sort of just changing the president is not going to solve its deep-rooted issues. 
um, which includes an intense rivalry with India, obviously for historic reasons, for religious reasons, as you're saying. And it's interesting to see where this will go in the future because Pakistan, though sort of still kind of a US ally, it's basically getting all its money from China. It, you know, we even had, I believe, Imran Khan making excuses for China's terrible treatment of its Uyghur Muslim minority, which is just the irony is is probably possibly lost on some people. But, you know, Imran Khan was a kind of playboy in London back in the day. And he sort of when he, you know, came back for his political career in Pakistan, he he got um, a new wife who's a very devout Muslim and he sort of played up this devout Muslim act. Um, and yet he is allowing China, a country that treats its Muslim minorities horrifically, to walk all over him. Um, and as we're saying, India certainly has more of a rivalry with China than than Pakistan. It does have its issues with China, but it's sliding more towards it um, in terms of spheres of influence. Whereas India is sort of more hostile towards China for obvious reasons. And obviously, India has more power than Pakistan. India has a thriving economy. It's a democracy. It also has deep-rooted issues with uh, religious conflict, lack of education in some areas, many areas, you know, they're still in rural areas specifically. There's um, economic struggles. However, it's definitely a more productive economy than Pakistan. And I think that while it has its issues with, let's say, discrimination and religious conflict, I think that it's certainly less... um, hindering its development than say Pakistan at the moment um and also it's just way bigger you know there's about one billion people in India <laughs> there's more people to do stuff with things certainly aren't getting better um and it's interesting to see where that will possibly go in terms of China rising and Pakistan being sort of within its economic empire I'm not saying that's going to you know cause Pakistan and India to go to war but it's definitely not uh, a good sign for that relationship going forward. Yeah, talking to Georgia Gilholy, um, you bring up the human rights stuff. India is not on the level of what's going on with the Uyghurs, or certainly not what's going on in Ukraine right now. However, there is that line of thought out there that one of the things that keeps uh, the American and the Western relationship with India a little complicated, there have been quite a lot of talk and a lot of uh, accusations against the Modi government in India, human rights type issues that they're concerned about. And there's a line of thought out there that like, hey, we can do business with Vladimir Putin and China because they're not going to say things about that. Whereas America, when when we want arms, when we want economic deals, they're going to bring up things like some of those human rights concerns that are going on in India, which is obviously a it's a it's a big, diverse country with a lot of different moving parts, a lot of religious strife, a lot of cultural strife going on. Is that part of the equation that we should pay attention to? Is that valid criticism of, hey, they like to do business with people that aren't going to call attention to some of the some of the worst aspects of what's going on in India at any given time? We definitely should pay attention to it. However, we uh, or Western governments are hypocritical in this regard too, because as you say, many European countries are dependent on Russia for energy supplies. Basically, the entire world is, is quote unquote, dependent on China for manufacturing. Um, you know, if you take a lateral flow COVID test in the UK, more than nine times out of time, probably it's going to say made in China on it. The irony of that is not lost on me, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so, while I agree that there are human rights issues in India and this is not something we should shy away from confronting or, you know, trying to help, uh, obviously, the UK government, for example, the US government to fund, you know, tons of charities that do human rights work and that kind of thing uh, and education work in 
India and many other places. However, I'm, I fail to see how sort of, I don't know, a British diplomat bringing up, I don't know, some elements of discrimination against Christians or Muslims in India as something that's going to define our relationship or something that's going to actually change India's India's policies, um, unfortunately. Yeah, talking to Georgia, you know, Holy. The big question now is we see a realignment going on in Europe. Uh, NATO is kind of remaking itself after a long period of not knowing what they are because they've got to face this Russian aggression. Uh, what is India's relationship with the EU wider and the UK specifically? Obviously, we know the long history of the UK and India. What's their relationship going forward? Because they do seem to be pretty focused on China and Russia. They've got some economic deals. They're working with Australia for coal and these sorts of things. What's that relationship like? Because it, it seems like maybe that's becoming more of a secondary concern to India and the spheres of influence they're worried about. But EU, the EU is changing right now. Where, where do you see that relationship going forward? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily see, see it getting worse, but I don't necessarily see it expanding or getting better. I mean, India, for, as you're saying, historic reasons, has probably closer ties, definitely closer ties with the UK than it does with the rest of Europe. Um, and there are many, you know, Indian nationals living in the UK or descendants of them anyway. And also Britain trades a lot with India. In terms of India's specific relationship to the rest of Europe, I mean, Europe is, as you're saying right now, more unified than it was before on Russia. And that also includes NATO at large. It also includes the US, Canada. Um, but the problem is that this has only happened after the invasion. It didn't happen before to prevent the invasion. For example, offering Ukraine membership, I don't know, some kind of protection in, not in the form of a uh, formal military alliance like NATO. I don't necessarily see India sort of wanting to jump on the bandwagon necessarily. And also India, you know, it's not like India is at risk of invasion right now. It's just sort of seeing future strategic threats and current threats from uh, China uh, and others, Pakistan, for example. And I don't necessarily think that something like NATO uh, would help India because NATO is, is you know, it was formed uh, to target the Soviet Union, which is obviously why there's so many American troops in, say, Germany. Um, I think that we need something new. We need a strategy. And I say we, I basically mean the US because the US has all the money. Um, obviously, I believe that Britain and Europe should be involved to the extent that they can be or they're willing to be. But the focus in terms of countering China obviously needs to be in the Pacific and hopefully in the Indian Ocean. And I think that depending on what happens, you know, as the years pass, we don't know how the Ukraine conflict's going to play out. We don't know what's going to happen with China's economy. China's heading for a, a real demographic bomb, as I'm sure many people are aware of. Um, you know, there are way more men than women. They're not having enough children to replace themselves. Um, that kind of thing and their economy i believe is shakier than it looks from the outside um and i think that possibly depending on what happens with that india could as i'm saying more and more towards the idea of cooperating more formally with the us but the problem is as we're saying it gets its military equipment from russia russia is friendlier to china this is it, it's almost as if india's position right now it can't last forever because it will ultimately have to choose if these kind of china us blocks persist um, and the divisions get ever starker as the decades pass um, so I think that India ultimately will have to choose but I don't think that NATO will be that relevant or even the the you know trade relationships or whatever with European nations will be too relevant unless 
they're at risk of becoming outwardly hostile because it's the US that has all the money, basically. It's the US that has the military power. It's the US that needs to bring in India from the cold. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they would, are going to change their sons in the Ukraine conflict. Um, you know, as I was saying, India has historic Cold War ties with Russia. Putin and Modi seem to have a sort of bromance going on, if you could say that. Um, but I think this is a question that's going to keep coming up more and more and more as the years go on. Um, and I think that we really do need to focus more on the Pacific and especially Taiwan. Um, and hopefully India could be part of that, depending on how it sees itself in the coming decades. People assume that economic growth means, oh, they want to be Western and they want to be allied with the West. That's not how it works, as we know with China. <laughs> Yeah, and the the other thing to watch on this is there's no version of the Ukraine war where Russia isn't lessened and more destabilized and seen less in the world, and that's going to change mm-hmm. the dynamic too. Because, you know, if you're if you're stuck between China and America, it's nice to have Russia to talk to, and that 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 blanket may be gone for them. We'll keep talking about these issues. Uh, Georgia Gil Holy joining us. Appreciate your time. We'll definitely have you back because. Uh, India and this part of the world is not going to lessen in importance. They're going to increase in importance. So we're going to keep talking about that. We'll also get you back, talk some UK stuff. Till we get you back on the program again, let folks know where they can follow you and your social media so they can keep track of you and what you've got going on. Um, just follow me on Twitter at LLG Georgia if you want to find me. Yep. And uh, check out her uh, Young you. Voices. Yeah, no problem. Her Young Voices page will have a lot of her writing stuff. She's got a long list of writing credits. You can go look. She also does quite a bit of UK media, which I enjoy because I don't like our cable news in America one little bit. I watch a lot of overseas stuff. Georgia Gilholy, really appreciate your time, ma'am. Great having you. We'll have you back. Thank you so much. Thank you a lot. Thanks. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.